0: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the poet laureate of rock and roll, the voice
1: of the promise of the 60s counterculture, the guy who forced folk into bed with rock, who got not in the 70s and disappeared into a haze of substance abuse, who emerged find Jesus, who was written off as it has been
2: by the end of the 80s, and who suddenly shifted years, releasing some of the strongest music of his career,
3: beginning in the late 90s. Ladies and gentlemen, Columbia Recording Artist, Bob Dylan. This is Pod Dylan, the two that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one concert at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and this is a very special episode of Pod Dylan. We're here to talk about the Rough and Rowdy Ways Tour that is currently uh, swinging its way through the Northeast and will be concluding in just a couple of days. And I have a murderer's row of guests to talk with me about these concerts. First up is returning guest Henry Bernstein. Hi, Henry. Hey now, hello everybody. Uh, Next up is all returning guest, Allison Rapp. Hi, Allison.
0: Hey, how you doing everyone?
3: Also returning guest, Omar Udin. Hi, Omar. Hey Rob, hey everybody. And first time guest on the show, Brittany Kula. Hi, Brittany. Hey Rob, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I am so excited to be talking to all four of you about the Rough and Rowdy Ways Tour. This is just so exciting, I can't believe it. So again, thank you all for doing this. I really appreciate it. So, you know, I want to kind of set a baseline of where we all were, what we saw, when we saw Bob, and exactly what we saw. So I'm going to go first. I saw Bob, I think, the most recently of, of all four of you. But I'm going to go first. where I'm just going to read the set list uh, that I saw that night. And I saw him at the Met in Philadelphia, November 29th. And the set list is as follows. Watching the river flow, uh, most likely you, you go your way and I'll go mine. I contain multitudes, false profit. When I paint my masterpiece, Black Rider, I'll be your baby tonight, my own version of you. Early Roman Kings, To Be Alone With You, Key West, Philosopher, Pirate, Gotta Serve Somebody, I've Made My Mind Up to Give Myself to You, Melancholy Mood, Mother of Muses, Goodbye Jimmy Reed, and Every Grain of Sand. So, uh, Allison, let me throw it to you first. What was your set list, and where did you see him?
0: yeah um so i saw him on november 19th at the beacon theater that was the first night of shows um here in new york city and i think my set list was actually very very similar to yours there might be a couple of differences uh mine was watching the river flow most likely you go your way and i'll go mine i contain multitudes false prophet when i paint my masterpiece black rider i'll be your baby tonight my own version of you early roman kings to Be Alone With You, Key West, Gotta Serve Somebody, I've Made Up My Mind to Give Myself to You, Melancholy Mood, Mother of Muses, Goodbye Jimmy Reed, and Every Grain of Sand, and No Encore.
3: Okay, so it was the same sub Now, had you seen him before at The Beacon?
0: I had, I had seen him once before at The Beacon. I believe that was in 2019. He usually does like a uh, kind of Thanksgiving, fall time sort of run and shows there. So I had seen him there before. Um, that's one of his favorite places.
3: Now, how close were you to the stage this time?
0: Oh my gosh. I'm one of those kind of weird people. I don't really like to be all that close to the stage. I love the beacon in particular. I don't think there's a bad seat in the whole house at the beacon. Um, I particularly love actually sitting up in the balcony close to like the front rail where you kind of have this sort of aerial view. Um, And I'm sure some of you know, if you've seen the tour, um, he has this really cool stage set up with like the the floor lit up and everything like that. So it's really cool to like see the whole band interacting um, from that point. So I was sitting up in the balcony, which I love. I love that bird's eye view. And I, I thought it was the best.
3: All right, so Omar, uh, what was your set list and where did you see Bob? Sure,
1: um, I saw him on November 3rd. This was at the Auditorium Theater in Chicago. It's a, uh, a bit of a smaller amphitheater and a slightly smaller venue that uh, than I'm used to seeing him in. And I believe what he'd done at least the last couple times out, at least in terms of the last couple of big tours, I think my set list largely dovetails with everyone with some sequential changes. Um, So we had watching the river flow, most likely you go your way and I'll go mine. I contain multitudes, false prophet. When I paint my masterpiece, my own version of you, I'll be your baby tonight. Black rider, to be alone with you. Mother of muses, got to serve somebody. Key West, uh, early Roman kings, melancholy mood. I've made up my mind to give myself to you. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed, with uh, a very brief encore of Lovesick, and It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry.
3: Wow, okay. That's a big difference there. All right, that's so interesting. So, again, have you, had you seen him there before?
1: Yes, uh, I saw him in this venue. He was touring with Merle Haggard in 2005, I think. So I saw him on consecutive nights there. But since then, my recollection is that I've only seen him in – Pretty big venues, um, like uh, the 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 Toyota Stadium, which is a, a the, the professional Chicago soccer stadium, um, in 2013. Um, and I saw him in uh, at the University of Illinois Chicago Pavilion, which is an arena, uh, in 2019. So this was uh, a lot more intimate than what I've been used to recently. And I think we're all the better for it.
3: And how close were you to the stage? Uh,
1: reasonably close. I mean, I... Th- my memory so bad, but like I, my, my memory is that it, it couldn't have been, it was maybe the 11th or 12th row. I'd have to double check. But what really struck me was the ambiance they created with the lighting. It was like very, very eerie in a lovely way. Um, also, I am, I'm 40 years old and I was one of the youngest people there and it was tremendous.
3: <laughs>
1: that, that doesn't happen very often, Rob.
3: Okay. You all savor those moments, you know. I don't have those anymore, Omar, so I I can only imagine. Uh, All right, so Brittany, what was your set list and where did you see him?
4: So I saw him – I also saw him early on in the tour. I saw him November 5th at Playhouse Square in Cleveland and then the 6th at uh, the Palace Theater in Columbus. And the set list was exactly the same both nights. So it was watching the river flow. Mostly you'll go your way and I'll go mine. Um, I Contain Multitudes, False Prophet, When I Paint My Masterpiece, Black Rider, I'll Be Your Baby Tonight, uh, My Own Version of You, To Be Alone With You, Early Roman Kings, Key West, Gotta Serve Somebody, I Have Made Up My Mind to Give Myself to You, um, Melancholy Mood, Mother of Muses, Goodbye Jimmy Reed, and then Every Grain of Sand.
3: And uh, how close were you to the stage on, on either one of those?
4: Uh, In Cleveland, I was about the 15th row back. And then in Columbus, I was third row.
3: Wow. Okay, I was like
4: right in front of the piano. It was a perfect view.
3: Yeah, that's amazing. I've been asking everybody that because, you know, Bob is not Mick Jagger. You know, he doesn't strut around the stage for the most part. And to me, it's like every small change of his face is what is a big deal. And if you're really far back, I feel like you can't see that as much. Uh, maybe it doesn't matter in, in some respects, but I always feel like when he smiles even a little, you're like, ooh, ooh, he's smiling. Ooh, it's so exciting. You going to see that difference. So, um, all right. So Henry, uh, what, what was your set list and where did you see him?
2: I saw two shows. I saw the tour opener in Milwaukee and then Chicago the next night. So the same exact show as Omar. And I feel like, Omar, we're like circling each other together through life a little bit because like <laughs> I was at all those shows you mentioned. Well you done. Know, uh, <laughs> nice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'm, I'm forty, So I, you know, I, 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 I'm right there with you. Um, anyway, so I, I don't have to share the Chicago show, but tour opener uh, November 2nd uh, at the Riverside Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin was watching the river flow. Most likely you go your way and I'll go mine. I contain multitudes, false prophet, Simple Twist of Fate, My Own oh. Version of You, I'll Be Your Baby Tonight, Black Rider, Melancholy Mood, Mother of Muses, Gotta Serve Somebody, Key West, Early Roman Kings, Soon After Midnight, I've Made Up My Mind to Give Myself to You, Goodbye Jimmy Reed, and Lovesick and It Takes a Lot to Laugh, Takes a Train to Cry is the encore.
3: Wow, okay, and how close were you? I was,
2: first night, I was. I would say dead center on the aisle about, I think it was, I was row in um so pretty close um and then in chicago i was uh, about 10 rows back on the left side uh, for both shows i like made sure to be either center or left side so that i wasn't i didn't just see the back of his piano the whole time <laughs> which happened on the last door but um yeah i would say like within the first 10 rows center or left both nights
3: cool so okay I would. I would imagine you all would agree that this was unique in that uh, this tour has been given the name of the album. He doesn't do that. Uh, everybody's nodding their head. Uh, everybody, like, you know, should he we give like a eulogy to the Never Ending Tour? Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't go on the Tempest tour. He didn't go on the Together Through Life tour. And that to me seems very specific because after I saw uh, my show, I noticed that a lot. There were some. There was like a thread about what songs he played and about how he's playing eight of the 10 songs from rough and rowdy ways. We all know he's not going to do murder most foul, Maybe. maybe, you know, but I saw a lot of people saying, geez, if I'd been there, I wouldn't have been happy because I want to hear the classics. I don't want to hear nothing but new songs, but I feel like obviously Bob is very specifically announcing what you're going to see by naming it, the name of the album. And then it's it's, it's it's a sprinkling of other songs, but it's it's the bulk of this new record, which is sort of amazing. So, um, again, before we get into sort of the main conversation, I do want to ask everybody, uh, let me start with you, Allison. Did you have a two questions? A favorite song of the night? And if so, what would, well, separately, which of the Rough and Rowdy Way songs do you think, in your mind, when you saw them kind of work the best in concert?
0: Oh, my gosh. That's, okay. I guess... Um, <laughs> You know, I was really looking forward to Goodbye Jimmy Reed just because that was my favorite song on the record in particular. And I love that he, you know, stuck pretty closely to the, uh, unusually stuck pretty closely to the arrangement. And, you know, it sounded a lot like the the record version. Um, And so that was really awesome. But I think more so even I was just, Completely in awe of I Contain Multitudes. That was the one song that I really thought, you know, it, it's beautiful on the record, it's awesome on the album, but that was something that was going to hold just a ton more weight live, you know, like, especially now that his voice sounds the way that it does and he's got the band with him that he does. Um, you could just tell the whole room was like completely, like, you could hear a pin drop, you know, in between those vocal lines. Um, and so for me, I mean, I think it was that one that really just struck a chord with the whole audience. And that was the one that so many of us were. Uh, you know, we fell in love with when he first started releasing those singles and stuff. So for me, that was that was definitely the highlight.
3: So the the, the answer to both questions is I could say multitudes. It was I, your favorite one so. of the night and the best yeah, one. Yeah, and
0: you know, I completely agree with you. I'm not really sure what people were expecting with the name like the <laughs> rough and rowdy ways. To her. I mean. <laughs> you know um, that's kind of just that that seemed like the obvious like thing that he was going to do I mean like you say as well you know there's nobody else really out there who's doing that kind of thing I mean if Paul McCartney went out there and suddenly did like eight songs off of his new record everyone would be like what? Like why are you doing this? (laughs) He would Um,
2: also then do 20 Beatles songs that would (laughs) would be a four hour show
0: (laughs) Yeah but Dylan doesn't it's like okay like this this makes sense but yeah no I I think it's completely especially with the band that he's got I, I think it was the right choice to, to just highlight those tracks for sure. All
3: right. So uh, Brittany, ask you the same questions. Your favorite song of the night and and the song your favorite of the rough and rowdy way songs. Now that you've to hear them live.
4: Um, the first night in Cleveland, I I have to go with the classic and say I loved his rendition for some reason of "Gotta Serve Somebody." That just it hit me like it was it was so different than I've. That was my twenty-first show that I've seen of his. And I'd never heard him play like that. So um, that really stuck with me for the Cleveland show. And for the Columbus show, I would say um, Black Rider for sure. Mm. I loved that both nights. That was my favorite.
3: Wow, okay. Uh, Omar, same questions?
1: Yeah, I thought I was gonna be super original, but everything Allison (laughs) said is like 100,000% correct. Like, you know, what was so telling about it, and we can get into this, you know, as we go on, But like there was a certain like assured confidence that he had while he like when he segued into it. And there was like a sort of electric response from the audience that made me feel like, oh, this is not just me. This is like a he's treating this like a modern classic. Um, And and I think that it really just goes to the confidence he had overall in in what he was selling in, in that record. Um, And so I'm torn. So it was both a highlight of the Rough and Rowdy Way songs we played and a highlight of the overall show. And it just kind of got me thinking about, you know, to your point, Rob, about if he, you know, the fact that he seemingly ditched the never-ending tour moniker uh, in favor of promoting Rough and Rowdy Ways, I'm kind of torn when I think about why he did that. Because half of me is just like, well, look, it's sort of maybe a pragmatic commercial decision he never got a proper opportunity to like push the record out as much as he really wanted to uh because of the pandemic we have like momentum stalled of like a year and a half so he wanted to get back to his regular touring habits but he also wanted to make it clear that like look i'm showcasing this thing that critics loved, and you know i I just want to make sure it wasn't uh wasn't overlooked but on the other hand maybe he just did it because it's a really great record and he knows it But, you know, either way – and maybe he – and there's a third option that he's just Dylan and he's just kind of iconoclastic. And the rules of Paul McCartney – the rules of Paul McCartney are just never going to apply to him for better and sometimes for worse, I guess. Um, But I got to tell you, the electric kinetic response from the audience when he played this new song, that's not something you come across. You know, the audience is getting up and, like, getting snacks and going to the bathroom when McCartney's playing his new song. You know what I mean? But this was different. This was – you know, everyone like just viscerally responded to it. It was really something.
3: All right, Henry. What about you?
2: And Paul is taking a
1: beating over here. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we love Paul. We love,
2: we love Paul McCartney. Can we just say that? <laughs> I saw
3: I saw him right get back in five seconds on that movie. So he's, he's a smart guy. <laughs> so
2: I, I think for the the first the first show, obviously we had no idea what to expect. Everyone was speculating, but it was clear he was going to do something. I was most stoked for. For Give "Goodbye Jimmy Reed" and "False Prophet," the bangers of the album, the blues songs on the album, especially "Goodbye Jimmy Reed," for sure my favorite song, Allison. Um, so I was like the most like hyped for that one. But you know, both Allison and Omar, what you said about sort of the the energy the, when it all quieted down after, most likely, it was sort of like people knew it was about to happen, and then in those <laughs> first few moments of the song that of "I Contain Multitudes," that was you know note by note exactly like the album, people cheered. People were like, yes, we're getting it. This is it. This is the Rough and Rowdy way Tour and we're going to get to hear it live. And so that was really special. And everyone was hanging on every word, just like you said. Um, and at the same time, like for every single song, everyone was sort of really psyched for it. And then when it came to Key West, it absolutely broke me. I wasn't expecting yep. to... Have an emotional reaction that way, and i i just i just burst into tears both in like hearing it live, um, the surprise of of just how the words and sound affected me, and then he did that to me again, and I've made up my mind to give myself to you. I was just like, because you know we've we've been speculating for a year, what is this song about? Is it about his connection to the fans? And just hearing it live like that, it just absolutely killed me so i don't really know if that's an answer to your question but i kind of cheated a little bit but um hearing those songs live was truly a magical experience that i don't for the seeing it for the first time on the first night i've never experienced that and i will never again probably unless he puts out an album next year and then tours on it
3: you know it, it is bob you never know uh yeah i want to get back to that about key west henry but but um, first did all, did all the shows that all you saw have did he have the same low-key intro where there was no announcement it was just the lights went up and all of a sudden they're playing i was like oh oh god oh they're playing <laughs> like it was like what a what an understated intro for bob dylan like they even got rid you know for years they had that guy doing that kind of phony you know Force folk into bed with rock or turn to jesus which i love that because it's so self-mocking can
0: i interrupt just real i know the guy who wrote that and he's he's from buffalo my hometown as well and i even remember having a conversation with him at one point about that very bit and he had been to the show and he had no idea that that was going to happen at all it was like suddenly they were introducing bob dylan and he was like wait a minute like those words sound really familiar to me or whatever. And it turned out to be his words, which is just crazy. Um, I missed sorry, that I intro. Maybe, like, I, I really missed that intro. There. But like, that's just such a weird, like anecdote thing that I can't even believe happened.
3: Where did he write it? Uh, What context did he write it? He wrote
0: it for um, the Buffalo News when he wrote a piece um, basically promoting that Dylan was coming into town. And you're right, it is kind of this like almost corny ish type of thing. And obviously, I'm sure if he knew that he was going to be using that as an intro, he probably wouldn't have written that. I wouldn't have. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was just the. And and nobody knows like exactly how Dylan got a hold of that, who told them about that, whose decision that was exactly. But like, yeah, I mean, I guess we're not getting that anymore.
3: I never
1: (laughs) knew. And, you know, and Rob, like to your point, my experience was there was a we got there relatively early, you know, and and there was a substantial line because I think there were there there were COVID protocols. They were checking, you know, vaccine passport cards and everything. And all that was fine, obviously. But they I don't know if it was like intentional or like accidental, but the majority of the prospective audience was still like outside or out out, outdoors, out, out of the, the main doors, oh, when wow. he came on and started playing. So he came on and started playing, you know, watching the river flow to an empty house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was amazing. Like, it just just amazing, just the casualness, with which he just kind of, you know, he's like, yeah, all right, no big deal. Um, and so people were just coming in after after the first song. Uh, and, you know, he didn't break character, so it was fine. But it was just it was just very eerie. So, yeah, just as low-key as you can get.
3: Yeah. I, it's, I, you know, I mean, when the lights go down, you know, the show's about to start, but you don't, it was just all of a sudden like, oh, there's playing. Wow. All right. Okay. Great. Uh, Yeah, boy. That's, I didn't, I had no idea that someone outside of the Dylan camp wrote that intro. Uh, yeah, that's really funny. Disappeared totally. into a haze of substance abuse. <laughs> <That's>
0: <laughs> just so you not. No. Yeah. There's like no that? real reason that's... for me to know that, but I know. Totally crazy. What's his Cut. name?
3: Let's give him his a shout name out. is
0: Jeff Myers. He's the Buffalo News music critic. He's still writing a lot. He's a great guy, great music journalist. Um, yeah. He had no idea that that was going to happen.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, you know, yeah. Bob is being typical, and that he's being atypical. I guess. That's mm-hmm. just, you know. Um. All right. So, what did everybody think of? The opening, isn't it kind of funny that he decides to open his first tour in two years with a song that is so specifically about writer's block, uh, not having much to say. And he's doing it to introduce a tour that is celebrating an album, you know, one of his most, you know, at this point, most renowned albums. Like, you know, it's been known for Bob to do that, but I thought that was of all the songs to pick. He's opening the rough and rowdy way tour with watching the river flow. Not that I don't like that song, but that just seemed like, really, that's the one you're announcing yourself with. And was anybody, everybody else kind of go, what?
2: Um, can I, I actually have a thought about that. It felt at the beginning of the show, the first two songs, it felt like, Oh, he's kind of doing last 2019's set list. And he'll probably pepper in rough and rowdy race. I was sort of like, not surprised. I was like, Oh, and, I think that was on Shadow. I think he did it on Shadow Kingdom. So it, it sort of felt like okay, it's just like easing into. I I, I mean, uh, you know, Rob, you you always like dig deep into those kind of things, and I'm always like, oh, I didn't even it didn't even occur to me, but that like the the what the song is about didn't even occur to me. I just thought like, oh, this is what he's comfortable playing with because he did it on the last tour.
3: I get. It. I mean, it's got the line, "What's the matter with me?" I don't have much to say, right? Coming on the heels of <laughs> rough and rowdy ways, it's just like. Okay, Bob, you guys handle it how you want. Regarding, uh, the well, the first, okay, the uh, the first song that I thought that, well, okay, the first song of his that I saw that he actually came out from behind the piano was for False Prophet. That's the one uh, where he came out. And that was the one I had said at the time when I did the episode of Pod Dylan about it with uh, the late, great Tara Zook where we talked about False Prophet. We said this, she said, this song is going to kill live because of the, the, you know, just the sound of it. And it does. And then that was the first one where I really felt like he was clearly enjoying himself. Cause he came out from behind the piano, he had the mic in his hand and he's crouching and he's kind of like doing this almost like a boxer stance kind of thing. That was the one where I was like, Oh man, he is real. And you can almost see the smile on his face. That seemed to be the one that he was really, really digging into. Did anyone else get that read from it when you saw it from Brittany? Okay. Did the pointing. Yeah. On every word. <laughs>
0: I love that you called it like a boxer's stance. I think that's a really good way <laughs> of describing it. I think I described it as like a, a stooped, like you know. But it, it's very purposeful. It's very you know, like it. It it seems quite um directed, you know, when he stands like that, especially holding onto the mic that way.
3: Brittany, what did you think of that when he was kind of out? To, was he doing that when you saw him? Like that kind of just like he's like sort of hunched over kind of thing.
4: He was. It was so adorable. I loved it. <laughs> and then i noticed um at the columbus show the second one i went to um he started after that like interacting with the audience and i thought that that was really interesting um he made a joke about um how he should start wearing sneakers like the real rock stars quote unquote so he uh so he moved around the stage easier and i'm like you're best rock star ever and, he, and like it was just i just thought that that was like the funniest thing he's ever said and he joked he kind of like started making these like little quips throughout the night after that and i think he really just it made him open up somehow
3: so so he talked kind of throughout the night when you saw
4: him yeah yeah oh, he wow. started talking about um a ghost he had in his room in cleveland the night before <laughs> and i have the whole i kind of tipped the whole show um, and and I was like listening back, and I was like, "What the heck is he talking about?" In some of this, but um, he was—it was really funny. Like he
3: was cracking his up. What about the rest of you? Was he talkative? Because when we saw him, he only said anything at during after Goodbye Jimmy Reed to introduce the band. He made a few jokes, then he did every grain of sand, and that was it. But for the rest of you, did he talk throughout the night? Well, in no, like
2: yeah. Go ahead, Omar. Sorry. Oh no, no, no. Please go ahead. Um, in, in Milwaukee, the first night. It was first of all, it was shocking when he spoke because I've seen him 27 times. I've heard him talk twice, other than band intros. And uh, it, it was everyone was like, is this really happening? And he kind of messed up a little bit. He he his banter the first night was he said something about um Les Paul being from Milwaukee, and he forgot he had a senior moment and forgot Les Paul's name and had to lean over to Tony. And and ask him his name, and Tony told him, and then he's like, "This is where Les Paul's from," and everyone was just sort of shell shocked. Um, and then Omar, you know, you can you can say what he talked about the next night, which was amazing. Uh,
1: well, I mean, the thing is, is that there were, from my recollection, and you know, Henry, correct me. There was not very much interaction. Until, I mean, there was the like, I think it was a after Goodbye Jimmy Reed when he would he just gave perfunctory comments about, ah, I like coming to Chicago. I know you like it here too. Like that that was all. And like he was so like I don't want to say standoffish because, you know, it's just him, but he was so like, you know, non-communicative that when he did bust into the um the false prophet stance that you discuss, like I kind of took it as oh he's hunched over because he's old. Like, okay. I didn't I <laughs> didn't I didn't take it as like intentional at all. Even though in retrospect with the way you guys are describing it it makes perfect sense but um so this the notion of him being as interactive as the way Brittany describes i mean i obviously believe you but oh man that was not my experience <laughs> um,
0: i at think he course loosened
2: course. up throughout the tour i think he just started loosening up sorry mm-hmm. Allison.
0: no no that's okay at the at the new york shows the first night i only want the first night but the first night he just like rattled off a bunch of like new york city landmarks that he apparently I don't know, loves or whatever. He was like, the Statue of Liberty, Fifth Avenue, <laughs> blah, blah, It's so good. Really digging you- deep there. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, you're a real New Yorker. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, but then he said, you know, it, it's really good to see it coming back, which is, you know, a very sweet thing to say. And then the second night, he gave a shout-out to Herman Melville, of all people, which is just, like, I don't know anyone else who does that. And then the third night, the, I really wish I could have seen this, but the third night, apparently somebody in the audience screamed out, Playborn to Run. Um, and he laughed at that and said, you should probably go see, you know, you're at the wrong venue. You should go see Springsteen on Broadway, which is just really funny to me.
3: <laughs> I always find it charming that Bob, maybe I'm undercutting under him a little bit, like sometimes he seems only dimly aware of pop culture that's around him. And then when, and then when he makes a reference to something that's going on, you're like, oh, he is plugged in
0: to everything that's going
3: on. He he knows that Springsteen's down the street. I mean, of course he does. But it just seems sometimes it just feels like he's on another planet. And so dimly aware the man was dreaming of Alicia
1: Keys 15 years
3: ago.
1: I mean, come on, he hit the zeitgeist.
3: It's just like, you know, I just some of the stuff I feel like he's like, what does he know? But that, like, in when he contain when he, I contain multi, multitudes, and he says, you know, I eat I eat fast foods, and I'm like, Bob, people don't say it like that. They don't eat eat fast food. like it's singular, right? you know. But it's you know, Bob's gonna do what, he, what he's gonna do. So, oh, that's interesting. That yeah, he, you know, for us, uh, he kind of pulled the same trick in New York where he mentioned the Liberty Bell again, deep cut for Philadelphia, Rocky. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Phil, he says, "Oh, and Philly cheesecake, Philly cheesesteaks." I can't forget those. And it's to me, it's like that's very Bob Dylan dad joke kind of stuff. That the list is so basic. I mean, that like any sentient person knows what. <laughs> like he, as you say, it, Omar, like digging deep. You know, like oh, Philly <laughs> cheesesteaks, thats original. And Bob's got to know that's really unoriginal. But that's it's, the joke yeah. of it: is that it's, it's just these are sort of you know. It's like a list somebody handed him and he's oh yeah Philly cheesesteaks okay.
2: It's his version of I mean, you know, he he ironically says in one of the new songs I never pandered but he's never do- he's never pandered and so maybe this tour he's pandering a little bit, you know, like hello St. Louis, you know, like now he's now he's doing it a little bit he's and like you he said Hello St.
1: Louis, check out that arch. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they're dad jokes. They're to- they they're total dad jokes.
4: I think Bob Dylan dad jokes should be a book. I
2: totally, order that immediately. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, in my oh. mind,
2: I've already read that book twice.
3: <laughs> I, I've said on the show before, I mean, if he was so inclined, he could write the most amazing travel book in the world. I mean, just he's seen every corner of the world and not just you know the inside of the hotels, putters around landmarks and stuff and he goes jogging at five in the morning i mean he's seen everything. if he if he really wanted to do that he could it would just be fascinating seeing all the stuff that that he has seen so for mother of muses am i the only one that noticed i feel like a couple of lines were rewritten i feel like that was the only song from rough and Rowdy ways that i noticed i was like wait is that the line from the song i don't know mother of muses as you know as well as some of the other ones but did anyone notice lines that didn't sound
0: familiar I can't say that I noticed.
2: I definitely didn't notice and maybe okay. it's just cuz I don't know those songs well enough but I definitely saw discussion on Dylan Twitter about it and <laughs> um which is was beautiful <laughs> to see. Um yeah, I don't know. I That's cool Rob that you were able to to clock that.
3: Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it was just something about where I was like, "Wait, is that is that the line? What um, were the, what were the lines? Oh, I don't remember. Him? I just went, they blew I, it's like I said, I mean, I don't know that song that well compared to some of the other ones, but there was just, there was one or two lines where I just kind of was like, wait, that doesn't, I don't think that's the line, but again, he's, he's obviously not, he's not messing with them yet. Uh, I, I got to find a better word. Cause messing has sort of pejorative sound to it. It's, he's not changing them yet. Speaking How of well cha- do you, do y'all know rough and around ways? Anyway, like I, definitely know every song but I feel like
2: I don't have um a deep like um familiarity with the lyrics the way I do with everything else Mm -hmm. you know
1: yeah no I mean like there's no dispute about like the fact that it's a modern classic of his but I just don't mean we're talking about a year and a half so like it just it hasn't had the tenure to sort of I mean I don't want to speak for anyone else I assume for a lot of you guys it just hasn't been around long enough to sort of burn into the recesses of my mind just like if you know i didn't know time out of mind like the back of my hand in like the fall of 98 even though it was a year and a half old but like i'm assuming that like give it another couple of years and like it'll just be like a reflex with everyone you know we'll be able to like dig deep into tracks and like pull out lyrics randomly and no that that definitely has that quality
3: um i am curious as to uh you know eight of the ten songs uh from the record have made it onto this uh this tour Again, it's pretty safe to, you know, understand why he's not going to do a murder most foul, although he might. He might get a wild hair one night and decide to do it. But uh isn't it feel a little strange that that poor crossing the Rubicon is like the lone? Yeah. <laughs> I was bummed. Is this gonna
2: become the new someday baby? We're just never gonna hear it live. Like I was bummed. I wanted to hear it. That's one of the other bangers on the album. <laughs>
0: I, I totally can see him doing Murder Most Foul, though. I really, like, I'm convinced at this point. That and that's me too. Like, 100%. There's
1: a lot of time 100%. between
0: now and 2024. There's there's plenty of opportunity.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, like, you know, the other thing to that is that, you know, we are assigning the rules of just, like, and, and normal convention to Bob Dylan when it's like, well, no, of course he's going to play the, like, 29-minute song. Like, of course he would, because it's just, it's an oddball thing to do, and he'd do a great job with it. So I just think the normal rules of gravity don't apply to him in terms of like creative choices.
3: When you all saw him, did he seem to be referring to lyric sheets? Cause there seemed to be some indication that for some of the shows he, he was looking at, Oh, did you got Brittany, he you had saw a book that? that with yeah. um,
2: pages in, in like a plastic sleeves, like he was prepared. He usually they're like on a mess on his uh, on the pedal string that he has up there, you know, inexplicably, but they were on top of the piano in a binder. This time yeah they were
4: very organized still Yeah, like he and was very prepared
2: yeah he he struggled the only i mean with love sick the first two nights he struggled especially the second night the night omar and i saw him he he messed up some lyric they had to kind of start over a little bit the band kind of kept playing and i'm it's no surprise he dropped it like the arrangement he had for love sick just didn't seem to be working um but the other songs i i, mean, I couldn't tell whether he was looking down or not but a couple times i saw him turn pages
3: Not to be, uh, all right. Well, since you sort of uh, opened the door for that, uh, Henry, I am curious, were there any songs of the night that you didn't, you weren't thrilled with? That you were a little like, eh, that was all right. Uh, Brittany, I want to ask you.
0: No, I don't think so. No, I loved it all. I I do wish he would have kept uh, Simple Twist of Fate in in the set list. That's not, obviously, that's not really an answer to your question, but I I do wish that that had stayed in. Um, I don't know if I was disappointed with anything else though but you know there were some other things i I definitely would have would have liked to have heard
3: omar
1: yeah no it's it's tricky because you gotta i think the safest thing to do is to kind of toss out your expectations with regard to both the appearance of the set list and the composition and arrangement of whatever is in the set list and just kind of be devoid of expectation now other than obviously wanting to be able to like here watching the river are seeing here watching the river flow the, the first song um i don't have any complaints about how anything sounded or the arrangements and i think it's all to the better he gets extra points for leaning so so hard into rough and rowdy ways i mean you know it's a, it's 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 a i guess it's a risk um and i think he pulled it off i think i don't think there was a single arrangement of any of the new tracks where I was dissatisfied. Now ask me in, you know, two years, three years, four years, um, and I'm sure I'll come up with something because all the rearrangements are, are not gonna work 100%. But for now, uh, in their embryonic stage, uh, I was a fan.
0: I, I do have one other thought to add to that, just real sure. quick. I, this isn't, again, still not a complaint, but I I really would have loved to have seen Charlie Sexton in this leg of the tour. I think he would have added to those so like I can't even imagine what that would have sounded like with him in the band for those songs. I really think he would have fit in really nicely. Um, I, apparently, he was busy with Elvis Costello, so I guess that took priority. But maybe it's kind for of a another on the Same interview. night in Chicago. Yeah, they I were know. In the
2: Sound the same in town the same oh night. Oh my
0: gosh. Um, <laughs> I know. I had to like choose what show I wanted to go to. <laughs> but no, I think that would have sounded really awesome for this tour. Maybe he will join him for a future leg.
3: Wow, that'd be cool, Henry. Uh, was there anything that you weren't as completely thrilled with? Because I do have an answer. I hate to be I hate to be that way, but there there was one song I was like, "All right." But I'm curious, Henry. Um,
2: you know, I it was a really nice come down. Like, you know, like he he is a master of the set list. Don't don't let anyone tell you he's not like McCartney or the Stones who can and Springsteen who can take you on a journey. You know, that you need to come down. So, like, I didn't need a melancholy mood. I You know, I I went to the whole triplicate tour. Um, I heard all those songs. And they were nice. <laughs> um, I didn't need it, but it was nice. It was two and a half minutes, and it was just like, okay, this is a nice breather. But I would have much preferred almost anything else. I mean, I, I really wanted Thunder in the Mountain. I, I just I haven't heard it in a long time. I, you know, like you were talking before about that intro, like I associate those together, the big eye, you know, I, I just I, I I I really wanted to hear that song. I was not disappointed that I didn't. And even on Lovesick at the end that they really kind of flubbed a little bit. It was great hearing Lovesick. Like it's one of his best songs of all time. So, you know, and especially knowing, you know, later, Half of the people on the screen didn't even get to see it. Like, (laughs) um, it was kind of cool. Like, oh yeah, that we were there the night, you know, Omar, we were there the night he dropped Love Sick from the set list. It's like everything's a a Bob Dylan thing, you know? Right. So um no disappointments. Obviously, there are things I would have loved, but I'm I'm always happy with anything, just being in the room with him and saying, Oh my god, I'm seeing this 80-year-old man live and in person in 2021 during a pandemic. It was just it what's to complain about
3: fair enough yeah i feel a little churlish even bringing it up at all because as you say it's i'm so feel so fortunate that i'm living in the world where bob dylan is is he's still touring still producing great work that said if i never hear early roman kings again i'm kind of okay with that Uh, are you kidding me the last tour that was one of the standouts really it's one of my least favorite songs from tempest and and when it, <laughs> and you're when there's me. so when there's so <laughs> few slots for other songs, I'm like, really that one? And I feel I don't know. I, I and I have heard it for considering that it's a newer song. I have heard it a lot in the last bunch of shows, and I'm just like, he obviously loves playing it, and it's it's him. And he decides what he wants. The band loves playing it, but that's the one where I was like, mm, that's from Temp. That's the Tempest song you're gonna play early. But you can't. You're not paying blood or soon after, just something a little, that's it. That's my only even minor complaint is that early Roman Kings is just like, all right, I feel like I've heard it at this point, but I'm sorry, Henry. I don't mean to. No, that's fair enough that you feel like you've
2: heard it. Like, yeah, Yeah. that's totally fair. He did play soon after midnight opening night.
3: See, now that's really cool. (laughs) So now uh, I made mention on Twitter that I was uh, not listening to any of the bootlegs before I saw my show, because I was like, now I couldn't avoid set lists, but I wanted to skip bootlegs because I was like, I just want to hear the arrangements for the first time myself and not know what I'm hearing. Did any of you do that or did you all partake before the the, the shows? Let me start with Brittany.
4: Um, no, I did not listen to any of them, but I did record them. Okay. So. <laughs> okay.
3: Allison?
0: I, I did both. I listened to the bootleg from, from like the first show and then I made my own. I, I couldn't help it. I <laughs> <No>, right?
1: <laughs> Omar? Rob, when you say you couldn't avoid set lists, yeah. do you mean that you were being inundated and bombarded with set lists by people who couldn't stop giving you set lists and you were drowning them and you had to look at them or do you, you, you were just tempted, you gave in to temptation and were looking at set lists?
3: No, I literally logged on to Twitter and like the first four or five people I saw that I follow were like I can't believe he played this then this. I was like, "Oh." All right. Oh, yeah, I then, believe okay. that night. I believe that night
2: Rob you coined the term setlist spoiler.
3: Yeah. I, yeah, right. Cuz yeah, I was like no. I never occurred to me that that could be a thing and then it's like yeah, I guess so cuz maybe I don't want to know what he's playing, but then it was like, "Well, all right, I already know he's playing false profit at least. I know I'm going to hear that." So, okay
1: yeah I'm pretty militant about avoiding that kind of stuff, so I remember on social media when I saw them popping up, I think from the Milwaukee show, I like saw like a track and I, and I immediately figured out what it was, and I you know I, I, I closed it down. So yeah, no bootlegs, no set lists. I like to be I like to go into these things fresh, like it's a you know like it's an episodic television or something.
3: Henry,
2: what about you? Well, it would have been impossible for me to hear anything before because I was there open the right, first two nights night, of the show. Yeah. Um, but and obviously, and since then, I've been consuming everything every night. I've been feverishly writing Dylan Twitter, T- Dylan Twitter, tell me word for word, verbatim what his banter was. So yes, I've been consuming it. Um, had I been like one of you folks, seen him later in the tour, I think I also would have gobbled up set lists, but avoided. Certainly avoided any of the Rough and Rowdy Ways recordings because I would have wanted to hear that live for the first time.
3: Uh, You mentioned earlier, Henry, uh, talking about Key West. And Key West is my favorite song off the record. It's one of my favorite songs he's ever done. It's already, I would put it in some like top 25 list if I had to make such a list. Uh, It's one of those songs that I, and I think I said it at the time when the album came out, when he did the album review episode, where it's like, I can't believe this didn't exist before. It feels like a song that I've heard. And I don't mean that the tune is stolen or whatever. It could be for all I know, but it just feels like a song that I've lived with for a long time. It doesn't feel like something that didn't exist a year and a half ago or whatever. And when he was playing that, uh, first of all, I was really thrilled that he sang all nine minutes of it. He didn't truncate it. Like he's done for some other songs where, you know, he cuts the whole chunk out of the middle or something like that. But that was one of the, When he gets to the line, when he gets to the, the the part of the song that gets me every time is when he sings about that's my story, but it's not where it ends. She's still cute and we're still friends that I, again, I don't even have a meaning in my head as to what, what it is yet. Both don't know what Bob means and I don't know what it means for myself, but it plucks at my heartstring in a very specific way. And as he got to that moment, I was worried he was going to change the line (laughs) because he's been known (laughs) to do that. And I was like, well, what do I want to hear? Do I want to hear Bob's current alternate version of that? Or do I want to hear it the way the record is just to hear it that first time. And he didn't rewrite it. He, he sang that, you know, the way it is on the record, we, she's still cute and we're still friends. And it just, it, I felt like I was lifted out of my body for a second that I was getting to in this moment, getting to see this man, this legendary figure, sing words that are, what, maybe a year or two old, maybe? three. We don't know when he wrote them, maybe three, four, five years old. But the ink is still relatively wet. And here he is performing it in front of people. And I just couldn't help but just feel so profoundly fortunate to be able to do this. And we've all been seeing on Twitter people that are in other parts of the world that he's not yet touring yet. I mean, we know, uh, you know, uh, Laura from Definitely Dylan is coming to the U.S. just so yeah. she can see him. <laughs> I um, talked to her today. I was like, "You're on yeah. your way. Let's go!" Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it just felt amazing to me. So, one thing I wanted to ask uh, you all is: Do you did you have a particular favorite moment of the show? Not necessarily a song, but just a moment where he looked a certain way, did something. Maybe the band did something. Was there anything that jumped out at you? That was like, "Oh wow, that was that really burned itself uh, in your mind and so you all have time to think about that. One of the things I wanted to mention is, what's the name of the new drummer? I don't know his name.
0: Charlie Drayton.
3: Charlie Drayton. Okay. He looked like he was having the time of his life. He That looked was actually like- going
0: to be my answer, was Charlie's drumming, just like through the whole thing. He is such a powerhouse. He's so talented. I couldn't take my eyes off him. I thought he was the best. Yeah, yeah. it was.
2: it's hard to replace George Rosselli, and I hope George is okay wherever he is. Um, but yeah, that was a... Uh, Uh, An incredible, pleasant surprise. He was, like you said, Allison, he was mesmerizing. And you could tell for each song, he was doing different things in a very intentional way. He wasn't just banging away sticks. It was like different kinds of rhythms and and uh, instrumentation. Yeah, for sure.
0: Charlie used to play bass in the '90s, which I just think is the with, with Dylan on the Dylan tours, um, and I just think it's incredible that he's like still like operating in that sphere and doing that with him. Clearly, he trusts him a lot. There's a lot of trust going on between the two of them, and I can't imagine you know like him. It, it just it was magical.
3: Yeah, it was really fun watching him. And again, what a I, I'm guessing if you're a, a touring musician, uh, what a collection of material to get to play. I mean, the the greatest. Depth of songs you're ever gonna get to, and it's not even just his songs. You know, you're gonna play "Melancholy Mood" as well. Um, Omar, did you have like a particular one moment that really just uh, was like, "Wow"? You
1: know, other than the the general feeling of like, because this was my first concert. Uh, po- I was gonna say post pandemic, but that is not. We're not actually post pandemic, but like my <laughs> first concert since uh, March of 2020 when all this started. So, in, I would say in addition to the, the, like, my feelings are all general. My highlights are all general. Like, in addition to the, one, the feeling of, oh, we're, we're back, um, and, and what an honor it was that that was the particular show to kick off that feeling of we're back, Two, um the aesthetics, because as I had indicated earlier, I had seen him in venues easily, at minimum, like, three times bigger, especially recently. Um, and I hadn't seen him in an amphitheater in, like, over 15 years. So the atmospherics overall, I would say, were were the highlight of the show, and I just think the neat things, I, I don't know if the, the kind of, the size of the venue you saw in, in Milwaukee, Henry, but, like, what they were doing with light um, that I just, I, I just think got overlooked in the bigger venues, um, it, it really created an ambiance that I just hadn't, experience with him in like a decade and a half when you and when you combine that with The competence in the new material and the fact that like the band knew not just him But the band knew these guys knew that these are new classics They're wailing on and like playing around with it. Just filled me with just kind of indescribable joy So like yeah, no not one discreet moment other than the when you know the opening licks of I contain multitudes and it was like, oh Oh, yeah (laughs) So yeah, it was just, it's just a general feeling, venue, circumstance, time, and like the quality of what they were playing. It just, it just reminded me that like, I'm not going to take moments like these for granted, like ever.
3: Brittany, did you have anything from either of the shows that really, that, you know, stood out among the rest?
1: Gosh,
4: I mean, there there was, there was so much. Like everybody else has mentioned. Um, I did like that he was more jovial and joking with the audience. Um, at my the, the second show, Um you know, the fact that he referred to himself as, like, you know, not a real rock star because he doesn't wear sneakers. And um, <laughs> I feel like Dylan can kind of be self-deprecating what he wants to be. And I think when you mentioned earlier um, him starting the show with watching the river flow, I think that's kind of him being, like, a classic self-deprecating Dylan in a way. So I thought that that was um, an interesting choice kind of thinking about it.
3: Yeah, I, I, always, I always want – bob to feel like he's having a good time. Like I want him to have a good. I don't know why yeah. I'm worried about him. He's a multimillion dollar rock star. He's he's got Nobel prizes, he's got Grammys, he's got Oscars. I don't I don't need to worry about him, but I do. I want him to I want him to leave Philly going, "Huh, oh, that was a good show. That was a good crap." Like I want him to feel, I want him to well, I mean it's, it's
1: not irrational you want him incentivized to come back at at well, 82. And and
3: yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And and I
4: think out of the, you know, 22 shows I've seen so far, um these past two were the happiest I've ever seen him. Um, he's made the most eye contact with the audience. I've um, acknowledged us the most. So I would say, um, you know, I've been seeing him since '05, And these are the two best shows, I, two of the best shows I've ever seen.
3: Wow, that's great. That's great to be able to, to say that. Um, I, the one other moment that I wanted to mention outside of the, the Key West, in terms of just, I was really leaning in, was when he d- closed with every grain of sand which is, you know, a masterpiece of a song. Um, it's one of my favorite. Again, it's probably on like a top 25. And, uh, and this is such deep cut kind of thing. And on the, on the, on the way home, I was, I was regaling uh, my fiance with this, and giving her way more detail than she probably wanted. Uh, but, um, you know, the original version of that song, the one that's on Shot of Love, the, 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 it ends with, um, I'm hanging in the balance uh, of the reality of man with every sparrow fall and every grain of sand. And then the bootleg series version comes out, which is that one with the dog barking in the background, which I absolutely love. And the line is different. On that version, he sings, I'm hanging in the balance of a perfect finished plan, like every sparrow fall and like every grain of sand. And I, I prefer that line. There's something about that that I find more profound than reality of man. And now when he does every grain of sand live, he's gone back to perfect finished plan. And I, I felt like the hairs of my arms start to tingle. Like, wow, he's even old versions of the songs are not ever put away. He's willing to go back to it and refer to it and pull it out live. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I was so impressed that he was like, I'm gonna go back to the, you know, I mean, imagine the paperwork he's got accumulated. That he's got all the, where did what line did I have about that? Oh yeah, this one. Like, I just thought that was amazing. And then it makes me think well, what's it going to be like for these Rough and Rowdy Way songs 10 years down the line? You know, what is Key West going to sound like 10 years with these different lines? And speaking of different lines, what did everybody think of that version of To Be Alone With You, which I think features maybe the title and nothing else from the actual song? Like, it's completely... That song is like, what's that? Ship of Theseus? Where it's like, how much can you replace before it's not the thing anymore? Like, that, that, that song is completely unrecognizable except for... To be alone with you except for the refrain. What did everybody think of that one? I,
0: I think a lot of people at the venue were deaf that was one where you we were all kind of sitting around being like, Does anybody else like know <laughs> what's going on? Like, does anybody know what song this is? And then of course they finally hit that line and we're all like, Okay, all right, now we're kind of on the same the same boat here. But yeah, I think it it definitely it, it threw everybody for a real loop <laughs> for several minutes.
2: <laughs> was it the same version as Shadow that he did on Shadow Kingdom? I think, I think so. So, yeah. so like Yeah, again, it was like yeah, Allison. Like it was like looking around. I was like, wait, is it? Oh yeah, all right, cool. It was like kind of surfer rock, you know, from the you know early '60s kind of thing.
3: I couldn't help but notice that in the rewritten version, there's a line about I think killing a guy and running from the law. And I, you know, we've talked about it on the show that there's been a lot of violence in Bob Dylan songs the last. 20 years and i'm like even a song as sort of benign as to be alone with you has got a rewrite in it where he kills a dude like if he finds a way to stick that in there too like how did how did we get to killing a guy in to be alone with you it's such a sweet song and like, he's murdering people and it's like what's going on just constantly futzing with the with this thing as we're kind of wrapping up here i did want to ask what i mean this is asking everybody to predict the future and when it comes to bob dylan of course that's a fool's errand but what the hell I think everybody would agree that um, for someone who tours as much as he does, he has had a surprisingly few live album releases. I mean, he has not, there is no never-ending tour live album, which is amazing to think, considering... I imagine he, the bootleg
1: series is getting to it.
3: It's, maybe it's getting to it, but I mean, you know, he was putting out live albums pretty regularly in the 70s through 80s, and then they just stopped. And they'll do the occasional B-side of some something or whatever. Not that they do B-sides anymore. But this, as I you know talked about at the, at the top of the show, this is very specific. This is the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour. It's got its own title. It's got its own key art. Do you think that maybe in a year or two, we will see the Rough and Rowdy Ways live album? That this, this is being so specifically marketed as its own separate thing that we might finally get a genuine Bob Dylan, Ruffin' and Ways tour live album? I mean, what, again, nobody knows, but I mean, does anybody think that there's a, a chance of that?
2: I actually don't think so. I think you'll get something like, you'll get, you know, a live Cold Irons Bound appearing on a soundtrack kind of thing. I think you'll get <laughs> something like that. I The feeling I get, and like, you know, I saw a quote from him from like 1988 about touring, but like the sense I get is that for him, the touring live experience is a moment is an experience and it's different than these masterpieces he's created that the next version of that is performing them live. And that I think he feels like it's, 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 it's ongoing. It's never ending and he doesn't need to like bottle it up into an album. You go see him live. Um, And obviously, you know, he, he's never been a fan of bootlegging, but I, yeah, I just, I think, I mean, like you said, Rob, on a recent episode, um, we know that Columbia records all of them, right? But I just, I I think, it, yeah, maybe uh, uh, there would be something similar to Telltale Signs, like a live version of that, or of like his recent stuff, but on a bootleg. But I just, I don't think so. I think he's just not going to put out like the Rough and Ride Tours live album. I, I think maybe a song here or there.
1: Yeah, like I... I think implied in the question, to me at least, is the idea that this would warrant an imminent release in the next year or two by virtue of being one of the best do- tours featuring some of the best shows he's had. And, you know, this was my sixth Dylan show, and it's definitely like in the upper tier. But I'm not, you know, I'm not as confident as Brittany in saying it's the best I've seen him. Like, I definitely would put the. 2019 show above it um i saw him in 2015 uh i think it was at least as good and i only think he would release it imminently if they really knew um they were cooking with gas on this mm-hmm. otherwise you know i think the movie soundtrack is a fine idea a straight track there i i also think that it could like i said make its way onto like a bootleg series like god 12 years from now um but no i think for him the reward is just like pushing it out now, getting everyone to hear it now, and they're just
3: kind of going along his way. That seems. That sounds fair. That sounds reasonable.
0: That makes a lot of sense if we're just basing it off of, you know, like what his track record has been. But I also feel like I don't – maybe he's going to pull some surprise and he's going to be like, surprise, I've been filming the whole thing and we're <laughs> going to get some sort of like rolling thunder, like insane, you know, 90-minute concert film or whatever. But no, based on that track record, it, it seems like – he's more focused you're right on on the live the here and now the present
3: yeah he likes to be in the moment but I mean except when I leave the the concert hall and I see the guys at the soundboard packing up I'm always like what are you guys doing with these tapes you know they're just sending them back to the home office and they're piling up like the final scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark I mean what you know it, <laughs> all this material has got to be Got to be, uh, you know, going to be... But that's used. the thing, like, is as- any kind of,
1: like, trying to predict anything with him... Yeah. ...is so, yeah. it's just hard to do because it's just as likely that he could come out three months from now and say, guys, we've actually been making a new record on the road. We had time <laughs> to kill, and this is what we're doing. And, like, I think that is just as plausible as a an official live document capturing this tour. So, you know, we can we can kind of try to predict his next move, but that seems... Uh, that way lies madness, I suspect. <laughs>
2: Does he own future songs? Like, I know he sold his whole catalog. That includes, like, he doesn't own this stuff anymore, right?
1: I think it means future songs. I might Uh be wrong, but I thought it included future stuff.
2: Yeah. So, like, there's not really any incentive for him to do anything other than being Bob (laughs) Dylan. Like, I mean, you know, like touring, you know, that, that there the money goes into his pocket. But, like, someone else owns these songs now.
3: Wow. Uh, so Brittany and Omar both talked about where they saw the show in relation to their other shows. Alison, what would you, where would you put this one? Is this one of the best ones you've seen?
0: I've been to a lot of shows at the beacon, a lot of shows at the beacon, but it just feels like he is so comfortable in that venue. Um, and I think it was Omar who was talking earlier about this idea of like seeing him in those large stadiums versus seeing him in the more intimate venues, Um, it's insane just how much like nuance and detail that you lose in those stadium settings. And of course, you know, not every single city is going to have those smaller intimate venues to even offer someone like Bob Dylan. But um, I mean, I'll take any chance that I can get to be at the Beacon. Uh, The Beacon's just under 3,000 people. It's this really small, like velveteen kind of Mm. maroon (laughs) neo-Grecian setting. Um, And I think he's just really comfortable in those spaces where he can see enough of the audience that he can make eye contact, do those little jokes, have those little interactions, but it's not quite so intimate that, you know, he's on top of anybody. So yes, I think Bob Dylan at the Beacon is definitely peak him in New York.
3: What about you, Henry?
2: Um, Top five for sure. I mean, uh, like Omar said, 2019 was amazing. You got to see him play guitar um, and a lot of the, he was just very engaged. Sort of visually communicating with the off, uh, audience on that tour, especially during "Gotta Serve Somebody," if I remember correctly. So I would say top five for sure. But you know, just like every show I see is the best one I've ever seen. You know, I'm so hyperbolic about Bob Dylan that, like, yes, the last two, yeah, I haven't. It, this has it hasn't been it had not been as ex- as exciting. I don't think in a like a, a new way since the first time I ever saw him, um, which was on the Love and Theft tour. And, you know, like, so in that way, it was like the most top three most memorable and experientially new, if that makes sense. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, it occurred to me as I was preparing for this that it's, I haven't, I've seen him, I think this was my 26th show. And I really haven't had that many opportunities to see him for the first time pulling out new songs because there haven't been that many new albums. I mean, that sounds ridiculous. The fact that there's any is amazing at his age but you know i mean like tempest was the last one and that was eight years ago so there haven't been that and he didn't really do much from together through life that album seemed to kind of just get shoved aside so he hasn't really done a, i haven't had that many chances to be like oh i'm going to see him sing new songs for the first time and that you know i did for time out of mind but it's it's a unique experience i you know hopefully we'll get the there'll be another album maybe again we're so greedy this our dylan fan. But hope maybe there'll be another album. We'll get to do this again. It'll go on a separate tour, but maybe not. I mean, they're saying that this tour is running through what twenty twenty four? Is that the language?
0: Yeah, that's what yeah. they're
3: saying. I mean, that's a big that's a big tour.
0: <laughs> Three. He's gonna be eighty four by the time this thing wraps up, which is like he's gonna have four birthdays on this. Oh tour. my
3: god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord! Yeah, it's just. Uh, Bob, you know, give yourself a rest, buddy. But, you know, obviously he likes being out there. He likes doing it. He did, he yeah.
2: He had almost two years of arrest. <laughs> it's That's <time>. true. <laughs>
3: hanging out, yeah. So um, I guess as we're wrapping up here, I just want to throw the floor open. Is there anything else uh, you all want to say about either the album, the tour, the experience, just getting to see him again? Just pretty much anything you, you want to throw out. So, I uh, mean, Omar, I'll start with you.
1: Yeah, like the, you know, you guys were discussing the, the drummer, like, I, I just, and I noticed this in 2019, I've just been so consistently impressed by the quality of the band, um, and I feel like as time has gone on, I feel like their musicianship and their sense of, of, of like, whimsy and fun and, like, uh, their uh, their sense of being in tune with him. Uh, both literally and figuratively, has gotten even better and sharper and tighter. It's just like they are on the same wavelength, uh, so much more. I and mean, you know, I thought they were fine before ten, fifteen years ago. But like, they are a group of really tight musicians. Um, it's it's really impressive. Um, and and I'm just I, you know, you, I just think they're probably underappreciated in the in the press and and amongst the rabble. And and yeah, I just they deserve a ton of credit. They deserve a ton of credit because I imagine they're not the ones like calling audibles all the time in terms of, you know, the arrangements. They're not the ones, you know, switching things up at the last minute, but they just, they just got to go with it. And they seem to do it and they seem to do it with a a, a bit of whimsy and fun. Um, And, you know, while being like ironclad professionals who just, you know, have a a really good, really good, um, really good relationship with them, like musically. So uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm so impressed with them.
3: Absolutely. Brittany, anything uh, you want to wrap up with?
4: Yeah, I just wanted to say I I think um, I think I could speak for all of us when I when I say that it, I we feel honored to be able to see him, especially after COVID. I never thought I'd you know see him again live, you know, because we didn't know what was going on. So I thought that as much as I loved it, I thought that Shadow Kingdom was going to be the quote unquote like best we were going to get mm. um, to seeing him live again. So um, to just be there in person those two nights, um, you know, it brought tears to my eyes, just being in the venue before the show even started, because I couldn't believe I was there again. I couldn't believe that we've gotten this far. So I, I think that, I hope that he uh, he does go for another four years and we all get to see him again.
3: That'd be
2: amazing. Henry? Um, the one thing, first of all, I agree with everything you guys said, of course. <laughs> um, <sighs> For me, the one thing that I really can't stop thinking about, and I, I, I get emotional every time I think about it, is that um, one of the things during the pandemic that was actually a bright spot was being getting involved in Dylan Twitter. I know that sounds weird because it's a cursed, you know, place Twitter, but meeting all these people, like everyone on this call, and interacting with the most positive knowledgeable yet kind and welcoming group of people about the thing I love the most has been great this, these past two years. And at the shows, the last two shows, I got to meet some of those people in person and hug them and in like real live person with our masks on, talk about the thing we've been talking about virtually for two years. And, and now I feel even more so like about that, that like, okay, I, next if i ever make it to the beacon which is on my bucket list like Allison, if you don't mind i'd love to come say hi to you and you know yeah. and Brittany and omar were in the same city like let's go see dylan next time we come to chicago and i'll give you a ride and <laughs> st louis and wherever um and you know i told last time rob last time we recorded like i you know i have this fantasy of flying to philly and going to see <laughs> dylan with you you know so anyway that is all to say it's not anything that happened at the show that he did but um because of him something really profound happened and that was like experiencing this amazing community of people for the first time in person
3: that's marvelous yeah you should you should come to philly henry i hear it's the home of the liberty bill uh <laughs> uh those are pats rob which one?
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, as a vegetarian i don't uh, go to either one uh
0: okay. allison final thoughts Oh, my gosh. How do I follow that up? That was so I was going to say, you know, something similar to that in, in the sense that it's just been so nice to fall into this little community. Little. It's not little at all. It's huge. Um, This community of people and meeting some of the same people at the shows has been so because you can just tell that everybody is so excited to be interacting with one another. And that's been so great. But the other thing I would add on, too, is that, you know, I, I found it really funny after I saw the show, I, I talked to people about it, told people about it. Said like, oh, yeah, I saw Bob Dylan and their immediate reaction. Um, People outside of the community, they'd say something like, oh, you mean that guy who like, how did you even understand what he was saying? Like, he's so old. And I had to say something along the lines of like, no, like, he's hitting this third act. Like, it's insane. He doesn't sound like that, I promise. (laughs) Um, So kind of like going to bat for Dylan to people who might not ordinarily like go to see this tour, go see these shows. Um, I would say that anybody who is on the fence about going to one of these concerts, just, just buy the ticket, go. You won't be disappointed.
3: That's great. That's a, that's a great place to end it. Oh, geez. There's one thing I wanted to, did anybody buy merch? Cause I'm wearing my Bob Dylan Rough and ready ways bowling shirt or whatever this is. Did any, did you guys all buy merch or did you- the poster and I-
2: poster and tour t-shirt I bought, po- I bought the poster in uh, Chicago and tour t-shirt uh, with all the dates.
4: I murdered my credit card. <laughs> <laughs> I got yeah I got a few I got a hat a few shirts sweatshirt um some tote bags um yeah I could probably go on for a while
0: but yeah <laughs> for sure In uh, a poster of course
3: Allison did you buy anything I
0: didn't I didn't New York's expensive you know <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> I didn't I I think I was so like after the show I was I was just whizzing, you know. I couldn't even think straight, but I'm I'm glad everybody's. I can't wait to see everybody out and about in their Dylan merch.
3: <laughs> Omar, did you get anything? You know, I I tend not to
1: get merch, uh and then I always tend to regret not getting merch, and so the cycle goes.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, I I didn't feel like I needed a shirt, but I ended up getting one because it's again because it, it was specific to Rough and Rowdy Ways. I thought again, how many sure how many Dylan shirts mention an album? That's that's pretty rare. Um, and then I, I one other thing I do want to mention, Henry, kind of playing off what you talked about, about the community. You know, this was the, my pal, Dan Eaker, who I have been seeing Dylan shows with since January of 1992. Uh, we are that old. He was the one who came up with the idea of the four of us wearing Pod Dylan shirts. And I didn't want to do that because it felt, I don't know, it felt pushy or weird or whatever. And he was very insistent, as he is. So we went with it, and so we ended up wearing, and I got stopped by uh, a handful of people who have been on the show, uh, and then some people recognized it, and then the other people that I was with, they got stopped, and they were like, what's that? And then they talked about it, and that was amazing. That You know, I felt good that we did it, because it was like, all right, here's my chance. You know, Bob did not pick me out of the audience and pull me up as, as I expected, but okay. Uh, but that was nice, and you were talking about the community has just been – Uh, An amazing thing, as we can plainly see here, that I got to talk to the four of you. Uh, At the same time, we all got to do this and got to see this amazing show, and everybody just got so excited. And after the brutal last couple of years we've had uh, for everybody, um, having the album to look forward to and and soak in and now the tour uh, has just been amazing. And as Brittany mentioned, like I thought maybe as well that Shadow Kingdom was going to be it. Like that's what he's going to do from now on is these weird performance art thingies, but no, he's back out. And, uh, it's just been amazing. And so I'm so happy that I got to see him. And if he comes around again next year, I'll go next year as well. Uh, you know, I'll absolutely go there. So, um, well, thank you all for, for doing this. I I've never done a show with four guests before. Uh, and, uh, I really appreciate you all taking time out of your day to talk the, the tour with me. So Brittany, Allison, Omar, and Henry, thank you all for doing this. I very much appreciate it.
1: It was our pleasure. Listeners, go see him if you get a chance.
4: Yes, absolutely. They've
2: only got one more chance. <laughs>
1: oh, well, you know, in perpetuity into 2024 right. and so on. When he I comes agree.
3: back in 2024, when he comes back <laughs> and he does that. So, uh, yeah. all right, so let's wrap up here. Um, why don't you tell everybody where people can find you out on the internet? Brittany, let's start with you.
4: Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Bob Dylan's wife.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: great that you must got that. Follow,
2: I must say, I must follow. I was
3: about to say, that was great that you were the first one to get that handle, that it's not Bob Dylan's wife know, underscore right? 23 or something.
4: I know. Well, it was uh, back in 2011, so I guess I got lucky.
3: <laughs> Early adopter. That's perfect. Allison?
0: Yeah, I'm at Rap 22 on Twitter, and I am a music journalist with uh, Ultimate Classic Rock, so you can check out all of our stuff there
1: cool omar uh you can find me on twitter at o-u-d-d-i-n and uh i wish i was connected to more uh people in the dylan community so come one come all As, as long as you know you guys talk about the positivity of the dylan community um my only frame of references are politics twitter and sports twitter so uh i'm assuming that we do better here
3: do you lace your legal opinions with dylan lyrics just to see if anybody catches them any of the judges or anything
1: yeah only the judges these days, rob, only the judges
3: <laughs> they're the
1: only ones hip enough exactly Henry uh you can find me
2: uh two places uh talking about Dylan, you can find me on Twitter at gonzo three two four nine and uh talking about comic books and stuff like that. you can find me at
3: jewish comics pod. great show. I listen to it. It's very Thank enjoyable <laughs> so uh well, again, that's gonna do it. Thank you all for coming on. This was just so much fun. this is i i once I got the idea that I wanted to do a show about the tour, I was like, well, I got to do something special. And so this was just great being able to talk to all four of you uh, simultaneously. This is just wonderful. So, of course, everybody, uh, if you want to find back episodes of the show, go to our website, com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on any podcatcher of your choice. And then we have to thank our sponsors, uh, which you can support the network over at patreon.com slash Podcast. There you can unlock various awards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krug, George Doherty, and Joaquin Mechel. Henry, Superman Movie Minute is almost over. You got to move back over to Pod Dillon. You know I'm going to. All right, good. Thank you. I'm expecting that. So (laughs) that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later.
0: Bye.